Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another edition of To The Point Podcast. Hope you guys are all enjoying a, a good, good Friday, whether you're celebrating it religiously, whether you're just, or you just like having a day off, like me and Ryder. Uh, you know, we, we're, we, we accept everything here on To The Point, and today we're obviously back um, to talk about March Madness. It's been a wild uh, week, obviously, with the Sweet 16 Elite Eight, and we're uh, into the Final Four. Um, Ryder, obviously, we're almost... We're almost to the end of this. What if, what's your general uh, impression of the tournament uh, as a whole, and have you enjoyed it uh, so far? Uh, as a whole, I've really enjoyed the tournament. I think there's been, I mean, there's been a lot of different storylines, mostly positive. I mean, a couple negative, VCU being out, but mm. not being able to participate. But for the most part, I think it's been enjoyable. There's been some really good upsets. There's been some close games. There's been some players emerge that I think can, you know, risen their draft stock. I think there's been some players that never didn't perform like they could have, which lowered, which happens every year. There's been, you know, different storylines of teams going further than we thought. So I, I, all in all, I've really enjoyed the tournament. I think the, uh, I think there's been some crazy things happen too, like where the official, you know, felt that unfortunate incident there the other day, which I, you know, you never see that was, pretty wild but for the most part i've really really enjoyed the tournament and i'm really looking forward to the final four i think there's some very intriguing matchups yeah no i I think the tournament's been great too and i think you know one of the big headlines we'll get into going into the tournament was you know the big 10 and you know the great big 10 teams and it was tough to get a gauge this year because you're basically just playing conference games we saw gonzaga beginning of the year did play baylor they did play kansas but, you know, the Big Ten, they played each other. They're all good teams. But as we get to the Final Four here, um, you know, even Michigan, you know, the juggernaut Michigan Wolverines are not in the Final Four. So it really makes you look and think, wow, like any any given Sunday a team can win. But also, were these teams really that good? That was kind of my thought after watching Michigan lose to UCLA. Yeah, especially there were some bad showings by Big Ten teams. But I think the other way you could look at it is the fact that there's talent all across the country right. in a lot of, in many different conferences, not just the big 10, not just, you know, the ACC, there's, there's really strong competition all over the country. I mean, look at the look at the PAC 12, right. A kind of a non powerhouse conference really making a statement this mm-hmm. year at the, at the, at the tournament. So we'll see next year how they are viewed by the, you know, outside sources and ranking and all that. But I think it just shows how strong college basketball is around and that how sometimes other conferences can be boosted up by media and by marketing to say how strong they are when, you know, maybe they aren't as strong as you think. Right. And to your point, I mean, you look at the final four, we got Houston, we got Baylor, we got Gonzaga and UCLA. All those four teams are West Coast teams. It's it's crazy because um, you know we think of the media. I just think of hockey and bringing it back to that. You know, people don't vote for awards in Western Conference teams. You don't see them win a lot because guess what? All the writers are from the East and they're going to bed at ten thirty because that's when the least game's over. Uh, I just I think it's crazy that there's four teams from out West. I think a lot of people hate this final four. I've been hearing that like this week about how this is a terrible final four. I think it's a terrible call. 
three of these four teams, right, are, have never won a national championship. That's great to me. That's a great headline because you know, unless UCLA does the improbable, um, it, it's going to create a great story and I think put a book into it. A weird year, but I think it puts a, a great explanation point on a great college basketball season. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and you look at it, and I think the two best teams are in the Final Four. I, I, yeah. I like to say Michigan Michigan was good, and I, I really enjoyed Michigan. And I know I picked, oh, I picked Ohio to win, but that was more of kind of a, you know, let's see if they can upset Gonzaga. Right. But Gonzaga and Baylor have been the best two teams all year. They've been the most consistent teams. They they have been the best two teams. I don't care. Maybe Michigan in there as a three, but definitely Gonzaga one and Baylor two or three. Yeah. So to see both of them in the final four just kind of speaks to how strong that, you know, the West is and, you know, Houston, maybe, you know, kind of snuck in there to a final four. They haven't played a team higher than a 10 seed. That's kind of weird. That's the first time that ever a team's made the final four and never played mm-hmm. a team, uh, higher than a 10 seed. I don't think you'll ever see it again, but I mean, they're there, they made it and look at UCLA who, you know, they've kind of been, I wouldn't say a, a joke, but their program hasn't been as strong in football, basketball, kind of the school in general has really yeah. taken a step back in the last, I'd say 10 to 15 years. Lori Laughlin screwed them. Seriously. And to see them <laughs> go in basketball, this push to making it to the final four and, all these teams from out West, it's to me, I don't think it's a, a terrible final four at all. I think it's a very intriguing final four. Yeah. I mean, forever, there's this term and I I've been kind of trying to define it a mid major. And that's what Gonzaga was referred to as a mid major. And I said, thinking to myself, Gonzaga is not a mid major. Gonzaga has been an elite basketball program for a long time. Yes. I think if they win the, uh, the tournament, that ends that argument. I think that's dead that they're not an elite program, but even so, I mean, the teams that the final fours that they go through the amount of undefeated seasons they have through their conference. Um, you, you mentioned Baylor. I mean, 10 years ago, Baylor was a joke. Um, and for the past five, six years, Baylor has consistently gotten to elite eight sweet 16s where you have Michigan, you have big 10 teams that quite frankly, don't do it. Or even, even Duke for that matter. Uh, in the North Carolinas of the world, I, I just think people hate letting in the um, the outcast, so to speak, to the party. And we're seeing that more and more. And I think the media and people at large are just going to have to accept it and, uh, you know, just face it that these teams are here to stay. Yeah, I, I think you could, throwing it as a hockey guy, you could throw it in the fact that expansion teams, you know, mm-hmm. everyone wants to say, you know, they're no, they're no Toronto, they're no Montreal, because they, they, they're not around as, they're not as household names. Like, you know, take them, you know, Minnesota wild, isn't that a household name or, right. but sometimes you have to just recognize that teams are good and right. that maybe it's not just the early teams or the teams that everyone knows about or the teams with the high end coaches or the teams with the pedigree and the, the established teams over the past 50, 60 years. Yeah, original you know, six. Right. There's a changing of the guard. And it's something that people, some people struggle to accept. But I think it's a good thing that it's not the same teams in the final four every year. I think there should be new teams in the final four. At least to me, I think it would be great if every year in the final four, there was one team that never made a final four before. That Absolutely. would be very, that would be an awesome storyline to me to see. But this to me is awesome to see. I think it, 
makes the other programs who are more established like the Dukes and the North Carolinas and the Kansas and the Kentuckys. I think it forces them to kind of step up and say, maybe we're not as good as we think. Maybe we don't recruit as good as we think we do. And it's time for us to start being better. Right. And we got two college sports. I know we both follow. We both love college basketball, college football. They're polar opposites because college football, you know, the four that are going to be there every year. You can throw in Oklahoma and Ohio state. They may be interchangeable. Other than that, you know, you're going to get Clemson, you're getting Alabama and you're getting, you know, another throw in another team, but you know, it's the same Notre Dame, right? They're there sometimes they might not be anymore uh, with their showings, but we'll save that for another day. But you see this every year, Loyola, Chicago, you know, uh, even a Wisconsin getting to a final four. Uh, we mentioned Gonzaga, uh, UCLA this year. Yeah, UCLA is a, was a great program uh, 20 years ago or 30 years ago when Bill Walton was playing there. But it's been a while. I, I just think it's it's refreshing and it's not something where you can predict it before the season starts. And you can do that in college football. And I love college football, but it's just funner when you don't see all the dominoes before you even kick, you know, tip the ball off or kick the football in these two different uh, scenarios. For sure. And this tournament really does set it up that there can be teams come, not say come out of nowhere, but teams that people don't expect to become household names because it is a one and done tournament. And in a seven game series or a five game series, or even a three game series, normally the better team finds a way to win right. that series, especially in a five game or a seven game. But in a one-game elimination, anything can happen. And one thing about basketball, it's such a momentum sport that if a team gets hot, they can they start shooting the ball, they start making plays work. Um, you know, UCLA came into the came into the tournament struggling. They they barely snuck into the tournament. They lost, I think, four or five straight going into the tournament. But if you get hot at the right time and your your players show up to play and you find team teams have an off night you can go to a run and go to a final four yeah we saw let's talk about the ucla michigan game that last five and a half minutes michigan does not get a point um it it was something to behold because they kept shooting threes and they needed a two-point bucket which made no sense to me and they have a seven foot one guy in the court what did you make of their whole last five minutes and was that more on the players or coaching because I, I was just shaking my head it was very tough to watch as it became very yeah. in individual. It became right. a, a lot less of let's move the ball, take it to Gonzaga who they don't really care. They do not care who scores. They move the ball to find the open shot and they get very easy layups because guys are open. They move the ball. Michigan, it seemed like it was the complete opposite where every time one of the guys got the ball up the court, they thought, all right, I have to make a three. I have to become the, the difference maker in this game. And it became very individual, very, very frustrating as someone who had Michigan making the final four, but I think it's got to fall on both mm -hmm. because it, it's not like it was the last two minutes. It was the last five minutes as a coach. You have to see that you have to call timeout and you have to change something up. And, but as also as the players, you know, that's just very selfish. It's saying, you know, I'm better than the team which to me, they, they, their bread and butter was moving it down low, mm -hmm. scoring those baskets and then popping it out to the three if the, the, the open three is there. But they didn't even look for down low. 
they just completely forgot about their big men down low who have been their bread and butter all year. So it was very strange to see. Yeah. I mean, Wagner shot two threes. One was an air ball that was just hit. And the other one was like a brick. And then Dickinson's down in the paint sitting there, probably thinking, okay, I'm going to be here for one year. Let's try to win a national championship. Throw me the damn ball. They didn't give him the ball once. And he's the tallest guy in the court. They're going to foul him because Riley, the big man for UCLA had four fouls. He's going to foul out. And it's an advantage to get him off the court because he's a pretty damn good player. Um, But I agree. I mean, Jawan Howard, I get, I think he is a good coach, but in that sense, you look at this team, Michigan had 49 points. They lost 51, 49, 49 points. I mean, Gonzaga is putting up 90 every game. Uh, I just, I, I was, it was such a frustrating game because for UCLA, you take the win, but you look at your next opponent and you're like, we're not getting the breaks against this team, but for Michigan, it's got to be such a disappointing loss because they should have had the game. I think they blew it more than UCLA won it. Oh, 100%. I, I mean, you have to give props to UCLA for sure. They played some good D, but to me, a team like Michigan, I think they're averaging high 70s a game all year and high 70s, low 80s. And for them to go out and put 49 points up in Elite Eight, yeah, it's embarrassing is what it is. It's And to go away from... The Michigan team I watched all year, I probably watched 10 to 12 Michigan games, if not more. That was the worst performance I've seen of them moving the ball. They just had no chemistry at all, and it seemed very individualized. And like you said, Dickinson became a non-factor, which that can't happen. You can't let your big man, who's probably the best player on the court for either team, right, not be a factor at all. It, and it's not like UCLA was taking him away. They just, Michigan no. would not feed him the ball. It just didn't make any sense. Right. And pivoting to Gonzaga against USC, that, that might've been the most impressive thing effort I've seen in a long time. I mean, I've said that before this year about Gonzaga, but that game was over three minutes in. I watched, I watched it, but it was in the second half. I'm like, why am I watching this? I kind of flipped to that UConn, um, UConn Baylor women's game because I'm like okay this is interesting but literally three minutes in uh Timmy had 12 points Jalen Suggs had like five assists and I'm like okay check please like the Mobley brothers could not do anything with Gonzaga yeah so that night I had I we have two TVs in in my living room a big one and a small one so normally the big ones for what you're kind of what you're focusing on and the the smaller ones kind of just you know if there's another another something on you kind of want to watch but not focus on. So at the start of that game, I had the Gonzaga game on the big TV and I had the UConn Baylor women's game on the smaller TV. And by the end of the game, I had it switched or I had the Gonzaga on the small TV and I had the, I had the UConn and Baylor up top. And it's not because I was disappointed in the Gonzaga game. It's because that team's the best college team I've ever seen. I can honestly say that, that they are the best college basketball team that I've seen. I mean, I've only watched college basketball for 10 years, so I can't compare them to a team in the nineties or the eighties because I didn't watch then. I wasn't born, but to me, they're the best team I've ever seen. And the fact that they are the most unselfish team for three of the top 10 players in the whole tournament, maybe three of the top five players in the whole tournament. I've never seen a team be less selfish in my life they move the ball they do not care who score score Suggs could be the best player in this tournament Timmy could be the best player in this tournament and Kispert could be the the best player in this tournament 
but none of them care who scores. They move the ball. And that is as a coach and as someone who just loves watching sports, it's amazing to see the chemistry between them. No, it's so true. I mean, they could easily have such big personalities and say big egos and say, no, I'm doing this. This is my tournament. And Timmy gets his 23. Okay, cool. Everybody's happy. We're winning. We're kicking ass. And then you got Suggs, who's got like 10 assists. He's smiling because somehow he he gets guys wide open threes every time. I don't know what the, they just converge on him. Kispert, Nemhart are wide open from downtown. And but another thing for me, freaking Zaga, is how good they are in the paint. I, you know, we see the game in the pros and it's threes, threes, threes. And this team can beat you shooting threes if they have to, but that's not the way they like to win. Timmy is not going out to the three-point line often. He's getting to the paint. He's banking it off window. He's old school in that sense. And nobody's been able to figure them out yet. Suggs gets to the paint. I, I, I love watching them play. I think it's so dynamic. Yeah, they're a fun team to watch. And you take USC. USC was probably the hottest team in the tournament, the way they were scoring and the way they were playing. And they completely shut them down. Like Gonzaga plays defense too. And yeah. offensively, they're just every time they're on offense, if they don't score, you're like, wow, that I can't believe they didn't score that. What? It's mm -hmm. it's crazy to think that, but they're just so consistent and they move the ball so well. And players they play within the system and that's coaching too. You have to look at the coach and say, he puts these systems in place for them and they follow those rotations so well. Yeah, no, Mark Few, great coach. He, he's a, been asked forever if he's going to leave Gonzaga. He never did. We see, we see coaches move all the time to, you know, bigger programs. He's built this from the ground up and um, you know, if they win, I think that'll be a huge accomplishment on his career and what, what he's been able to do at Gonzaga. You mentioned some of the best players in the tournament, like Suggs, like Timmy. Um, who are some other players uh, in the tournament that, that are left that have kind of shown themselves to you to be uh, kind of headliners? Um, the point guard for UCLA, he's been he's been interesting to oh, watch. I like the way Juzang. Yeah. Yeah, Juzang. I like the way he played. He made some big shots there. Even though it was a low-scoring game, he made some big shots. Mm -hmm. I like the way he moves the ball. He, he attacks the paint. I don't know whether he's going to translate to the NBA. It's hard to say. A little undersized, but I like the way he plays. Um, Houston, there's really no one on Houston that has really caught my eye. Um, I don't know about you, but I just no. I said from the start, Houston, I didn't like, I didn't trust Houston, but hey, they're in the final four. But Houston still hasn't had an impressive win to me. They've just kind of snuck through. To, to me, it's it's been Gonzaga guys. They they've just been so dominant. All and all starting, they don't really have a bench. Like if you notice, they have no. their, they play maybe six players, seven at the most, the whole game. But it yeah. seems like for the most part, the guys don't leave. They have their tanks are crazy. They they play forty eight or forty minutes a game. Well, yeah, but there's yeah. been some great players. Yeah, I I like the Juzang. He he comes out when you need him. So far this tournament, uh, he's made some big shots. Like you said, to go to the overtime game against Alabama, he got hot there made a couple of late buckets against Michigan, but yeah. Uh, Divion Mitchell for uh, Baylor's a guy I like, I think he plays really tough defense uh, and he's a good player to watch too. Number 45, you know, Mitchell, he looks like Donovan Mitchell a little bit too. I <laughs> sure does. Look there first and I'm like, wait, is that Donovan Mitchell? But so that they get, they look alike, but yeah. So I think this tournament, I mean, it's only one tournament, but it is a period of games where you're on the biggest stage. 
I think Suggs will likely go one in the draft now. I, Kate Cunningham is still a great player, but the way Suggs has shown out in this tournament, it's got to make people in the draft kind of think twice about that pick. Well, like we say, this tournament, it can help you or it can hurt you. I, I think it really hurt Cunningham. He'll, he'll, Cunningham will go top two, top three. Yeah. Um, he could have won out and not scored a single point the whole tournament and still go top two, top three. But Suggs, they had him projected at the start of the year at, at uh, number two, one or two. Then before the tournament, they had dropped him down to like five or six, seven. Yeah. And I think he's worked his way right back up in the conversation of a number one pick. Yeah, just the way he scores, I think he obviously has to work in his three-point shot, but it's, it's okay. But it's just his vision, his court vision, the way he finds people. That's It's hard to find in the NBA. And if you can get a point guard that, you know, he reminds me a little bit of Chris Paul. Um, more more creative and more athletic, but the way he sees the court and the way he passes is uh, really impressive at such a young age. Yeah, for sure. He's going to have to work on his three-point shooting. It's not the best. His shooting is probably the one part of his game that he needs to improve on. But the other thing is he doesn't shoot the ball a lot in the game because he doesn't have to. No. He finds the open guy. He makes good plays. He drives the lane. He, he doesn't need to shoot threes because he finds a way to find the shooters open for threes. Yeah, no, 100% agree. Uh, yeah, he's a lot of fun, a lot of fun to watch. Uh, so the final four matchups, UCLA, Gonzaga, Baylor, Houston, UCLA, if they're going to beat Gonzaga, which nobody has beaten Gonzaga in 29 straight games uh, leading back to last year. Uh, what, what do, what does UCLA have to do to, to somehow pull off another improbable upset? Well, they have to take exactly what they did with Michigan. They have to hope that the team they play doesn't show up. They have to hope Gonzaga has their worst game of the year and they have to hope they have their best game of the year. I mean, it is doable. It's a one and done game. I think what they have to try and do is they have to try and get Timmy. They have to try and get Kispert and they have to try and get Suggs into foul trouble. Mm. I think to me, that's the only way is to try and get their big three. I think you attack the big three, try and get them to foul. I think you take the, the ball to the hoop every single time and try and draw fouls. Because to me, the only way you beat Gonzaga is you get their, their big three out of the game. Yeah, I would definitely attack Timmy early. Uh, make him defend you. Uh, I think he's an okay defender. We saw him come up with some steals, but force him to defend you. Because then if you get a foul, again, Suggs too. But Timmy for sure, because it seems the beginning of every game he gets hot and he scores the first 10 points. And if you get down that much, it's tough to come back because they just they start their system and then you kind of get choked. Another thing they got to do, not turn the ball over. Uh, fast break, Gonzaga's going to score on them. You can't turn the ball over because you're not going to win 51-49 against Gonzaga. You're not getting that lucky again. And something that's just been – one thing for me this tournament is just oh, – it's made me crazy. Free throws. Oh. How terrible are these – I get it, they're college players, but it's a free throw. It's supposed to be pretty easy. It's unbelievable how bad the shooting's been. Uh, at the free throw line this tournament and the sh the shooting at the the free throw line determines so many games in college basketball especially because yeah. it's only a 40 minute game it's not a 48 and there's only five fouls and especially on the one and ones you have to make the amount of times i've seen guys go up there and just casually shoot a one and one 
Like you're not, if you don't make it, you are not getting that second shot. And it's like you said, I think it's been the worst I've ever seen at the line for some teams. And it's really cost, cost them. Alabama. Alabama. It cost them. It cost them the tournament. hundred percent. It cost them the tournament for sure. I think what were they like four for 15 at one point? Yeah, it's crazy. I think they finished like 17 for 35 against UCLA. Yeah, it was, it was, it was it, you have to make the, the shot to the line. Those are gimme points. You have to go 90% at minimum for UCLA. They have to go, they have to get to the line a lot. And I think they have to shoot 23 or 25 from the line to have any chance. Yeah. Um, going to that one-on-one rule that you were just talking about, obviously people don't know. In college basketball, after you get the five fouls late in the game, you get a foul call. A one-on-one is you go to the line. If you make it, you get your second shot. You miss it, you're done. It's it's over. You know, it's basically the other team's ball unless you get an offensive rebound. Would you like to see that rule in the NBA? I'd love to see it. Me too. I would love to see that rule. It's my favorite rule about college basketball that the NBA doesn't have. And especially in the NBA where they call everything a foul. Mm. To me, I think that rule is a must. I think it makes it way more entertaining down the stretch of putting pressure on players to make a shot. The whole thing about the NBA, the whole thing about basketball is you have to make shots to win, right? So force players to make shots. Don't just say, all right, easy foul, two shots. I think I love the one and one I think it makes it way more entertaining and it gives teams the opportunity to come back in a game. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, sometimes you're going to foul because you think the guy's going to miss. It's ultimately like a hack a shack where you might take a risk or you do foul. The guy misses, you get an offensive rebound. You're down three games tied. Um, I'd love to see LeBron James at the free throw line with about 35 seconds left. Cause that guy's not a good free throw shooter. And to have a one and one with the ball in his hand, I, that would be great theater in NBA finals. I think he'd be sweating bullets up there because he's not great at free throws on his best day. I just love the rule. I'm such a big fan of the one and one because it does make the end of the game. I find sometimes in the NBA, the end of the game can become kind of like, just hurry this thing up. Let's get it over with where in college, it's not that case. It's like, no, no one's out of it. They have to make shots. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do hate is when a team's down 12 with about 24 seconds left and they foul. Oh, some of the games drag on. I'm like, hey, let's go. Like, let's, let's yeah. get going. But no, I'd, I'd love to see that rule. It's one of my favorites too. Uh, but yeah, UCLA got to make their free throws. And I, I also said, I kind of wrote my notes, don't force the three. Um, they're better in the paint too. Do what got you here. You know, don't try to match Gonzaga. Because if you just try to be Gonzaga, you're gonna, you, it's over before you know it even started here. Because you're you're behind the eight ball, playing a better team to begin with. Don't try to be them. Play your game, and hopefully uh, things work out in your favor. For sure. To me, I think move the ball around, try and kill the clock, try and use close to as many as much thirty of the seconds as possible, and then take it to the hoop with about three or four seconds left. You know, kill thirty seconds because if you go into a running gun match with Gonzaga the game's over in five minutes. You're, it's, you're not going to stick with them. So I think you have to be patient, but then you also have to take it to the hoop. But it's going to be a good game. I think both Final Four games have some intriguing matchups, and I'm excited for them. I'm, I'm going to be putting my feet up, and I'm going to be tuning in, that's for sure. Yeah, and I, 
I like what I think the NCAA screwed up a lot in this tournament, the weight room stuff and COVID pro whatever, but they had the women's game and the men's game on at the same time. That was so stupid. I like, I'm not saying more people are gonna watch the men and the women. It's kind of just assumed, uh, you know, it's just the way it is. Uh, but the women's tournament has been great too. They finally figured it out. They got the women's final four on tonight and then they got the men's tomorrow and then Sunday, Monday, but how did they have UConn on at the same time as Gonzaga? That made zero sense to me. Yeah, that, they dropped the ball on that because the best game, probably the best game I've watched out of all of it would have been the Baylor and the UConn game right. in women's. That game was awesome. Came right down to the wire, back and forth. Uh, women making shots. It, it was a, you know, some really good basketball there. It's fun to watch, but how do you have it on at the same time? For the people who don't have two, t- two TVs in their living room, like I do, right. it, uh, it really made them, I think they dropped the ball on that one because there's a lot of great talent in the women's NCAA. I think the NCAA women's game is very exciting to watch. I, I watch every year. I, I probably, I watch the final four for sure. And I try and catch as many games as possible when it's on. And there's some, there's some really great players in that. And I think the NCAA, NCAA really dropped the ball on having probably UConn, your best team and having Gonzaga your best team on at the same time it it, it's it was it was stupid yeah I mean that's not like the NCAA to do stupid things I mean it's not like they do that's for sure but um yeah uh and before we move on from UCLA I mean they're even if they lose to Gonzaga which I think we both think that they will what a run I mean you go from the yet the playing game goes to overtime you beat Michigan State you go through the tournament, you get to this point, to the final four. Uh, if they did somehow, I think they'd have to beat Gonzaga. Obviously, they have to beat Gonzaga, and I think they'd play Baylor in the final. They'd have to beat three number ones to, to win this tournament, which, again, I don't think will happen, but who knows? It's March Madness. They'd have to go down as one of the, the greatest tournament winners ever. From the, fir- from the first four to winning the tournament, being three number ones, that would be a crazy turn of events. Especially beating a, an undefeated team in the uh, final four. Point. To me, if, if UCLA can find a way to win, um, that would be the best story in college basketball and probably forever in the March Madness tournament. It would be one of them for sure. Um, but... If I remember at before we came on the first podcast, I said, you know, put some money down on a team and watch, watch, see how they do. If someone put some money down on UCLA at, uh, I think it was a thousand to one at the start of the tournament, then wow. I'm sure they're sweating a little more watching, watching this, watching the final four. But it's awesome to see a team like UCLA, who were a powerhouse back 30, 25, 30 years ago to see them kind of get back into the mix and, and play the way they have um, just playing in a playing game, just to get into the tournament is, and to go to the final four is incredible. They're playing with house money right now. They're, they have no, they should have no nerves going out there. Just go out and, and have fun as, you know, as basic it is to say, just go out and have fun. You probably, you shouldn't be there. I mean, enjoy it and go out there and, Give it, give it your best and play Gonzaga as tough you, as tough as you can and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, I think they're a 14-point underdog. Last time I checked, that's a crazy line. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I agree. Just go out there and play and see what happens. Uh, but 
I, I, we mentioned the Pac-12 off the top. I think this immediately helps the recruiting. Uh, you see three teams get to the Elite Eight um, and some other programs. Oregon went on a good run. So I think this puts them back on the map. And I think for recruits, they're going to say, well, okay, there's some big name teams, but we're going to get in the, we can get in the tournament. There's some good coaching out here. Let's go give Oregon State a chance or let's go back to UCLA. Let's rebuild this program. I think that would be Mick Cronin could really use that as a selling tool saying we're going to build this program back to what it once was. Well, now it forces some people to have to stay up later at night in the winter. It forces some, some media, it forces some, you know, the decision makers to stay up late and not go to sleep at 10 o'clock. I mean, I'm probably going to be staying up a little later next year for some games, knowing how strong the Pac-12 is. And absolutely for recruiting, it's, it's huge for UCLA. As soon as you make a, even a sweet 16, mm-hmm. it makes your recruiting so much easier for the next few years. So to be in the final four, you're going to see, I guarantee in the next five years, you see UCLA back in another final four. Yeah. I mean, just thinking of what you just said, I mean, Brad Stevens got the two final fours and he got the Boston Celtics head coaching job. I mean, you know, the players were what they were, but what, what he did for that program and it's, you know, they had a bad off year, but so did Duke and a lot of, they've had a strong program for a long time, just based on those two visits and the recruiting is, improved exponentially through the, throughout that process. hundred percent. It only takes, it only takes one tournament to really put your schools off school in the map. Oh, I bet Oregon state has a stronger team in the next couple of years. Mm. Wouldn't surprise me at all. I bet, uh, you know, a team like Abilene Christian might find to be, be able to pick up a stronger player. Right. You know, take a, take a, take a Iona with, you know, they played well, take, there's all these teams that had upsets. You bring them in, you bring in, you bring in just getting a win or getting getting two wins goes so far in the program, especially there's a lot of under under the table money in the NCAA that we know about. And as a smaller school, when you get a win, you get so much money that people don't talk about. Yeah. And it makes it a lot easier to recruit. I think that's that's part of it that people don't realize the amount of money. They were saying, I heard Oregon State with their win to get to the Sweet 16 made the school like $200 million or something like that. Like, it's just crazy. Yeah, imagine what Oral Roberts got being a 15 oh, getting to that point. Mind-blowing. It would scare you, the, the money that they yeah. would have received. But you know what? Good for that program. Yeah, I'd rather see them receive it than a, an Ohio State. 100%. I hope Ohio State lost money and uh, losing <laughs> to them. Um before we get to Houston Baylor, I don't know if you saw yesterday, Chris Beard, the head coach for Texas Tech, he's leaving to go to Texas. I, oh, I know. More about an ultimate betrayal to leave Texas. Oh. To if I'm go. the next coach of Texas Tech, I know what my motivation is and saying, come here, we're going to go kick his ass because that, I couldn't believe when I saw it. That great job at Texas, but Texas Tech's been the better program for a while. Yeah. That's like going from coaching the Habs to the Leafs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like going from, from play transferring from Michigan to Ohio state and football, right? Like, <laughs> things you just don't do. Like it is very, I mean, money talks. I'm sure you got a little pay raise yeah. that helps, but yeah, it, it's kind of weird. The, it seems like a more of a lateral move than it is a, a uh, promotion. hundred uh, percent. I mean, the Red Raiders got to the uh, sweet, uh, the 
championship game in 2018 and uh, yeah, or 2019. And then this year they got to the sweet 16 again. So it's not like they're going down. Texas has been, they lost in the first round and that, you know, they, they've been a down program for a while. They're like UCLA trying to kind of rebuild it in football and in, and in basketball, in my opinion, they, they've been kind of flatlined for a while now. And he's, I hope he knows what he's doing because it, they don't like to wait around in Texas. They'll fire us pretty quick. If you don't find success. For sure. I, I mean, to me, it's, this is a very simple solution that he's making a lot more money where yeah. he's going. To me, it, this screams that the pay raise is worth, the juice is worth the squeeze for him money-wise. Yeah, and good, and good for him uh, if he's making more money, but be careful because it can go away. Sure, uh, the grass is always greener. Yeah, um, so that brings us to Houston Baylor, uh, we, the other uh, semi the other uh, Final Four. Um, do you give the Cougars a shot against Baylor? No, I don't. <laughs> Should I? Yes. Like I said, it's a one game. Anyone, you know, either team can win. But to me, Baylor's been the better team all year. If if Houston goes on to win this tournament, I'm just going to shake my head and just gotta tip your cap to them. But they just, I don't know. They just, to me, they're just a team that has lucked out. They've really lucked out in their matchups of who, who, who they've matched up on the teams that they've played have upset other teams and then just don't play their best game against Houston. I don't think Houston's done anything impressive to me. I just no. find them a very boring team to watch too. I just can't get behind them, but Hey, uh, you never know what can happen. But to me, I think it's, you're looking at an eight to 10 point Baylor win. Yeah. Baylor. It would be fitting if it was Baylor Gonzaga. Cause I think they, like you said early in the podcast are the two best, teams all year and they played actually at the beginning of the year Gonzaga did win but Baylor gave them their best run for their money I'd like to see that the rematch and see what they could do and what Baylor what I love about Baylor is they got some upperclassmen they got they got some juniors they got some seniors which you don't see anymore and they can win any way you want they can shoot the three they can get hot there was the game uh where they were struggling they scored against Villanova they scored their last 34 points in the paint and Villanova cannot do anything to stop it. I just think they have a lot of different – they have a lot of different things they can do with the ball. Again, Davion Mitchell, they play good defense too. So Houston's going to have to play really, really, really well to beat, to beat Baylor, but I, I like their team a lot. Yeah, Houston's going to have to kind of make us eat crow, I guess. He's, they're going to have to make a lot – I don't – I think a lot of people are on the same, you know, side as us where it comes to Houston, where – they haven't been very good and they haven't shown, they played some weaker opponents and they haven't, maybe they haven't had their best game, but for Houston, I think they have to have their best game of the season in the final four for them to beat Baylor. But, you know, selfishly, I want to see Baylor win just because I think they are the second best team in the country. And I want to see the best two in the final, in the finals. That's what you want to see. You don't want to see, yes, you'd like to see an underdog, but if I'm going to see an underdog, I'd rather UCLA than Houston. Yeah, agreed. I, I think UCLA would make it for a funner game too. Um, but so that being said, uh, Gonzaga Baylor. So that's that, what I think. I yeah. mean, I I don't know if I could. I don't know if if Gonzaga covers fourteen points. I yeah. uh, on a betting side, I don't know if I can bet on them, but I, I think they're going to win. But and, and same, I think Baylor pulls it out. I. I I wouldn't even say pulls it out. I think that Baylor wins 
by eight or 10 too. I just think both these teams are the best two teams in the tournament. And let's not, you know, let's not, not try and, you know, make up storylines if they're not there. I think these two teams are the best two teams. And I think they both deserve to be in the finals. Yeah, I agreed. Um, yeah, yeah, 14 points is a lot, but UCLA hasn't been scoring the ball great either. So that kind of says to me, maybe it will be, you know, 25 or something. I think the Gonzaga game could get out of hand uh, because I just think they're that good. Um, but Houston, yeah, like you said, they could, maybe they play great defense and they have all tournament and they muck it up and they make it boring. I just think Baylor's too many guys that can, they got too many ways to beat you. And I don't think Houston has enough firepower to match them when it comes to offense for offense and even their defensive scheme. But if it is Gonzaga, um, Baylor, because this will be our last podcast before the national championship game. Who do you got winning? I you have to go with Gonzaga. They've been the the best team to watch all tournament. By best team to watch, I just they are the best team. They are they move the ball. They play defense. They're not selfish. They can score in any way. But like you said, Baylor gave them their toughest go so far this year and. I think that would be the case in the final. I think it'd be a very close final, but I think you got to give the, give the edge to Gonzaga, but either way, it's been one hell of a tournament. It's been fun to watch. I've really enjoyed it, but even though I had Iowa upset in Gonzaga, that was, like I said, it was kind of more of a, more of an inside joke and going for an upset. But to me, Gonzaga pulls out the tournament and I think it'd be one hell of a story to go undefeated all year mm-hmm. and to be you know maybe shut some people up about them and they give people actually kind of give them props of being a strong powerhouse team yes i i also would lean gonzaga i think it'd be a close game like you said baylor's the only team that got them within 10 points this year which is another crazy statistic that they've only had one game inside of 10 points uh crazy but i i just look at this team and i don't know how you beat them I just think they're too well, they got to all have really bad shooting nights or just really, like you said, foul trouble. But I think that'll be a five to six point game, tight one for sure, because Baylor is no slouch. But either way, it's a great story because you got Gonzaga who could go undefeated, which has not happened since the 70s. Or you get Baylor who was right there. You know, some people said they should have been ranked number one above Gonzaga this year because, you know, Gonzaga plays in a weak conference. Uh, Thanks media. Um, but you got Baylor who's only lost three games all year too. And it would be their first national championship too. So either, either way you, you get a good story and you get a new program kind of on top of the uh, top of the mountain. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's exciting to see. I think we will see a new national champion. I think it's yeah. pretty, I think it's pretty safe to say, and, but it, and if we don't, then it's another hell of a story run. Yeah. So either way, we're going to have a good storyline to finish off the tournament. Yeah, no, great, great tournament coming to an end. And um, no, I've enjoyed covering it with you. A great idea from you. So I really appreciated you reaching out to me and doing it because I've enjoyed it and love getting to talk about it. Um, before we wrap today, uh, the Masters is in less than a week. Uh, oh. I thought maybe I'd get a, a winner pick from you. Absolutely. I, there's not, as we, as we finish off, uh, as we finish off one event, we move on to another. It's exciting. I mean, look at us sports guys just love talking sports and watching, but the masters is the best tournament in golf all year. It's kind of weird that the masters 
I kind of forgot the Masters was coming just because it, we just kind of had it a few months wow. ago where I was like, oh my God, it's, it's Masters season already. It's going to be nice to see the course actually in good shape because it was a, the course really wasn't a joke last time. Um, they did the best they could, but it wasn't the Masters tournament we normally see. But to me, uh, Brooks Kepka just getting engaged. Let's go Kepka. I think I think he's fired up with the big engagement there yesterday. So yeah. I'm going to get behind either Kepka or, you know what? Rory McIlroy for the for the Grand Slam. He yeah. hasn't been playing great. Oh. I think you look at him. And then, I mean, Bryson's another guy. He's he's a polarizing character. But I think I'm going to throw my money on uh, Brooks Kepka. I, I like Kepka because every major, I give him a really good chance to win because he's just a gamer. Is he going to play, though? He just had knee surgery. I know. That's the thing. I he, He's on defensive if he's even going to play. So that kind of scares me, too. Another guy, you know, Spieth's been playing some good golf. Uh, Colin Morikawa is a great golf, great young player. Yep. There's a lot of, you know, with especially without Tiger there, which is unfortunate news. And it's good to see that he's he's recovering and, you know, get, getting to be with his family. But without Tiger there, I think it really opens the door for to talk about some other people. You know, it's not talking about Tiger. And unfortunately, we're not. And I know you're not the biggest Tiger guy, but I'm glad he's healthy or like getting healthier, sorry. But I think with the goal, with this this tournament, there's a lot of names that you could look at to win. Yeah, I I always get trepidation because it's normally a guy who's won the tournament before that went, or you play there at least five to six times before you win it. But I look at a guy like Victor Hovland and I'm like, he could win it. Like he's yeah. he's money, like he's good. Um, even, you know, Matthew Wolf's a guy who hasn't played great golf lately, but I, I love watching him, that weird ass swing that he's got. And, but he's got some swagger. He's, he's going to win a major before too long here, I think anyway. But I, yeah. I like the Kepka pick. McElroy, uh, <laughs> it's been a narrative for like 10 years that he's never won the Masters and he's got to get the career Grand Slam, right? And it seems to never, he never gets close. No, I, I think he, he, he's never even in the mix. No, really, it seems. No. But, and you know what, there's, there's always, there's always going to be one older guy who's won the tournament before, who's a big storyline goes out and, you know, is in the mix after day two, that's right. going to happen. I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe it's Phil, maybe it's Mike Weir. You never know. There's always someone, um, but it's, it's a great Sergio. tournament. What's that? Sergio. Yeah. Sergio, Sergio could be there. Sergio just won a, or did he win a tournament? The other, he won a uh, he finished top two. Top yeah. two, yeah, he was in the mix there the last, so he's right there. Um, Billy Horschel coming off that big win last week at the match play. I think you could look at him. I think there's a lot of guys. Joel D Damon just won yeah, was tournament. Good he's a, the tournament. He's an interesting guy. I like him. He's he's got good style. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look more at the lines. I haven't really focused more on on golf since kind of been focused on the college basketball. But once the basketball wraps up, I'm gonna look at the lines. And normally in the golf, I'll look at three or four golfers. I'll look to take a couple that are towards the top. And then I'll look for two sleepers where you're looking at 100, 150 to one, where you're trying to, to, to make money. But I'd, I'd like to see where Hovland comes in on the, if Hovland's in anywhere 35, 45, 50 to one, I'll throw some money on him for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's good. And what worries me about DeChambeau is he played there in November and he was pretty terrible. Uh, in it's not about driving the course here. So that's, you got to get it on the fairway or you're screwed. And he he has a tendency to not do that, uh, that off, but 
you know, and you can never count out DJ. I mean, he just won it. And he hasn't played great golf lately, but last summer, I don't know if I've ever seen a golfer get hotter than he did. I'm talking Tiger Woods in my whole life. I, he, that six month span, he tore up the PGA tour. It was not even close. Like he, I think he had a stretch where he went one, two, one, one, three, one. Like it was in tournaments. Like it was just unbelievable what he was doing. Yeah, for sure. But I know I'm excited to, to watch the tournament. And yeah, I think I'll send you a text probably next week. And uh, once we wrap up the basketball and look at the lines a little more and see, uh, see who we want to go, who I want to take. But uh, no, it's, it's crazy that we're kind of getting into the swing of golf. It's an exciting time for a sports fan with this time of the year, because you got baseball that started yesterday, big win for the Jays. You have golf kind of ramping up again with the masters you have the college basketball finishing you have the nfl draft coming you have the nhl playoffs coming up you have the nba playoffs and really spring is a sports fans dream to me absolutely uh yeah it's normally this weekend's the best weekend in sports because you got or next weekend so the masters first you got nhl playoffs like the weekend the first nba playoffs start so it's a little different but you know like you said you got the masters and then right after the masters the nhl trade deadline and one, I'll ask you this just to broad. I know we're going on a little longer here, but baseball started yesterday. We got the college basketball going. We got the Masters next week. Do you think they should start right now? I don't know if it's a great time for baseball to start with every a lot of big things happening that is going to overshadow the, the product. Yeah, that's true. But one thing about baseball, they they always say they're trying to grow the game, but I don't know if they really are. I think. I, I don't really think they are. They have their core people that are going to watch, but if you, I don't know how much longer you could push it back if you weren't to start now. Right. I think I'm surprised that they're playing as many games that they are um, yeah. this year. I thought they'd play maybe 15 games less, but I don't know. To me, it's that they're, they're set baseball set in their ways compared to any other sport. So marketing wise, is it a good time to start now? Probably not, but I don't think they care. Right. Yeah. I mean, even if I was in the, if I was work for the league and I tell teams, okay, yeah, we're not going to change the, we're not going to change the switch. We're not going to do anything to, you know, help you guys. We're going to, we're going to keep this going, but how about you just ask your batters to hit it on the left side. Okay. Don't hit a ground ball to right every time. Like just do that. I would like, I, I like that they did the um, the guy on second in extras. I thought that was really interesting. I, I like that part of the game. It's more intriguing. Uh, but yeah, baseball, we both like it. I can honestly say I, I still watch it religiously, but I don't love it as much as I did five years ago. Like if it, there's other sports on, I, I'm not going to pick baseball first. Yeah, it's tough for me. I grew up, you know, hockey in the winter and baseball in the summer, and I – you know, I, I was you know, not a bad player when I was younger and I, I loved playing the game. And unfortunately I had to give it up. I made the decision to give up ball and focus on hockey. And when I got to high school, but I, I loved watching the game. I, I'd watch every game. It didn't matter the team. And now it, I seem I'm more and more kind of just focused on the Jays and, and, you know, if there's an afternoon game on, I'll throw it on, but I'm not really, you know, paying as much as a t- attention as I should but other than, you know, I, as a Jays fan, I, I keep an eye on them. And I, they had a great win yesterday, but especially against Garrett Cole. That's a big win to start the year. But it's, it's, I find it tougher to watch. I, I'll get, I get more into it when you get into summer. I think once you're in summer and you're barbecuing and, 
you're outside a little more. I think it's easier to kind of follow baseball because baseball is summer sport, but it's hard to get into baseball right now when it's still cold out. Like it's, mi- it's minus five out today. And there's no, that baseball is such a long season. They play so many games that you don't really have to get into it the first couple months. Yeah. I mean, why are they playing baseball in Detroit? Send them on the road. Miguel Cabrera is hitting a home run in the snow yesterday. So many dome teams and so many warm weather, but no, it's playing Detroit. It's playing this AL Central, but uh, if only I ran things. Um, but no, right, this was a ton of fun. Uh, I really appreciate you giving your time. I know you're busy with with um, spring hockey on the horizon. Uh, kind of uh, let everybody know what, what's happening with with champions in the in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so we're actually really busy with champions. Um, we start, started spring hockey yesterday. We have more ice time tonight and a busy slate this weekend of practices with our teams. And then we have, we have close to 30 teams between Fredericton and Miramichi. So really good year for spring hockey. And we also had a really big announcement this week. I don't know if you saw, but we just partnered with the Fredericton Christian Academy, um, which is a local private school here in, in Fredericton. And we have a two phase approach where next year there's going to be a skills Academy followed by the, the, the next year after that in 2020, uh, 2022, 2023, we're uh, uh, going to have some prep school teams. So we are starting a prep school and the goal is to gr- start with one to two teams and grow it to hopefully in the next five years, four to six, maybe eight teams. So it's uh, it's exciting time for champions. It's something that uh, Dax and Stacy put a lot of work into and it's cool. It's, you know, it's taken a couple of years to kind of, kind of fully kind of a lot of talks behind the scenes, but it, it's really grown and it's good to see. We had that announcement this week and it, it seems to be very positive by the community. So uh yeah, a lot going on, a busy time, but uh, not still enough time to catch a college basketball at the end of the night. Well, perfect. Uh, great news on the champions front. Uh, like I said, thank you again for joining me so much. Good luck with everything going forward. If everybody have a great Easter weekend, uh, whatever you do to celebrate, enjoy and enjoy the college basketball. So until then, we'll talk soon.